Hello, and welcome to Product Packaging and Profit, where we help product-based businesses turn packaging design into a competitive edge to attract customers, grow sales, and boost profits. I'm Kelly Kempel. After 20 years of designing packaging for national retailers, I founded Hidden Path Creative, a graphic design studio that supports entrepreneurs with branding and packaging to get their products seen and sold. I'm sharing the secrets that launched big brands so your products can stand out. Let's get started. Today on Product Packaging and Profit, I am talking with Kristen Fisher, the founder of the gifting brand Boku, a retail strategy coach for makers and independent retailers, and the host of the newly rebranded Buyerside Chat podcast. With a profitable six-figure business and over 15 years of experience as a corporate retail buyer, she is a retail industry expert on a mission to help female entrepreneurs get inside the mindset of a buyer to scale their small retail businesses with big retail strategy. We had such a fun conversation, and I cannot wait for you to hear all of the insight that Kristen shared in our chat. So we're just going to dive right in. Hey, Kristen. I am so excited to have you on product, packaging, and profit today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for our conversation. Me too. So I met Kristen at UPP and we just recorded an episode of her podcast and now she is joining us here. So Kristen, I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about yourself and your multiple businesses. (laughs) I'll try and give you Cliff's notes. I'll make it not a 30-minute intro. So my name is Kristen Fisher, and I am the founder of the gift box brand Boku. And I'm also a retail strategy coach under Kristen Fisher Coaching. So my background is similar to yours, corporate retail uh, dropout. So I have 18 years of retail experience, and a little over 15 years of that was spent in corporate retail. So I've done different roles. I Going all the way back to college, I went to Ohio State and I was like, do I want to be a designer? Do I want to be a buyer? I don't know. I'm going to do both. So I studied both. I interned in both. I started out my career actually in the design world and was like, I really think that the buying side is for me. So my whole career, I was kind of figuring myself out. So I have experience in product development and sourcing design, but most of my time was spent on the buying side. So I bought for Some major brands, Urban Outfitters is one that people get really excited about. So I'll just say Urban was one where I spent about five years there. And I, let's see, it was probably in 2017, around then, I was engaged myself, planning my own wedding, and all of my friends were like getting married and having these big life experiences. And I started realizing that I'm a big gifter. I Gifting is my love language. And I was like, you know what, I want to do something creative for myself because I was getting that corporate retail burnout. I was feeling uninspired, I think is maybe the word. It's a very high pressure industry, no matter what role you're in, you know, working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, 40, what actually was like a dream week. And so I decided to start my gift box brand, Boku. And I scaled that while I was working full-time in corporate. When 2020 rolled around, we obviously all know what happened there. And That was an insanely stressful year on the corporate retail side for obvious reasons. And on the flip side, my business was like booming because I was in the fortunate role that I had a a business that connected people 
remotely. So you send a gift box to someone you can't physically be there for. So people were still celebrating birthdays and things were happening in their lives, but they couldn't celebrate together. So I had that piece of it. And I also was scaling on the custom gifting side for businesses. So I originally wanted to start doing in-person event gifting that year. That was my like scaling goal for the year. Quickly realized that that was not going to be the case. And so I started, I recognized there was opportunity and started going in uh, all in on gifting your clients and your employees remotely. And so in that year, I was able to scale to the point that I could step back from corporate retail. And the following year, so February 2021, I went full in on Boku. It left the corporate world. It was very scary. But in that space where I could actually kind of think straight for the first time, where I was like, I just have my business in front of me, I realized that all along the way, I was building a business based on the foundational, strategic, profit-focused role that I was in on the buying side. And that allowed me to profitably scale my own business. And simultaneously, I was meeting and working with and kind of for free coaching other brands that I was working with, either for Boku or for the brand, the brands that I was actually buying for. And I was helping them along the way. And I loved doing it. I was super passionate about it. So that is when I started doing the actual coaching side of my business, which is now its own business. So I have two kind of operating simultaneously, the coaching side that I'm super passionate about and the gifting side. So they're kind of hand in hand. And I work with a lot of brands to help them figure out what buyers are looking for, helping them scale their wholesale businesses, but not from the lens of me being a maker myself, from the lens of like what a buyer is looking for at different levels, whether it's a small retail buyer or a corporate retail buyer. And also for retailers that are just looking to implement some of those strategic uh, practices that big retail companies are doing, and they can apply that to their small retail businesses. So that's I didn't keep that very short, but that is my like long winding story of how I am, you know, where I'm at today. I I love your story though, because I think, well, one, our story is very similar. Like we both left are. the same year and we both have that like corporate to independent business owner. And I I have to just tell you how impressed I am that you built a business on the side while working full time in corporate retail. Oh, thank you. Like, those, yeah. Those hours you are know. dope. Yeah. No joke. Yeah. Like I only had the space for it when the pandemic really came around. So like, yes, just. You know, it's so interesting. Like, thank you for saying that, that it means a lot because it was really like, I really sacrificed a lot of things like being, you know, with friends and family for certain things or holidays. Like I even still give up a lot of holidays because I'm retail and a gifting brand, but it's what's interesting is that for me, the pandemic year where a lot of people were like, I'm going to start baking and I'm going to start painting and I'm going to like start a business and I'm going to like lean into these things that I've been neglecting. It actually was kind of like the opposite for me because on the buying side, it was so insanely chaotic. I was like literally chained to my desk from sunup to sundown trying to figure out how to get out of inventory, how to cancel with factories, how to change our sales structure, how to like just the actual buying role was amplified. Like I have never seen it before. And my own business was growing. And I was like, oh my gosh, I am just spread so thin. I didn't even have time to like do a single thing for myself. 
So I had that like dichotomy of like all my friends and family were talking about like these crafts and these things that they were starting to do and get excited about. And I was like, I can't even go to the bathroom. Like, <laughs> like help me. SOS, like white flag, please <laughs> take me out of my misery. So that's really what like kind of catapulted that decision. Cause I don't know if I would have had the guts to leave my corporate career because I didn't start my business with the intention of leaving corporate because I actually did. I do like to work. I actually did, despite, you know, some of the like dramatic experiences of corporate retail. I really loved my job at its core and I wasn't planning on leaving, but I realized that I had to make a choice. I either had to like go all in on Boku or I had to not because I couldn't do both right. physically. <laughs> physically. Yeah. Right. And like, we all have those choices to make of like what yeah. most important, where we would want to put our time and yeah. our energy. Okay. But let's shift and talk a little bit about your buying experience because yeah. I, so I actually talked about this in my round table at Nashville about how as product businesses, you have two customers. You have that end customer that's buying your product, but a lot of times you also have a buyer that is your customer because the buyer has to purchase your product to get it into the store. Whether you're talking about big corporate retail or boutiques and shops, if you're selling on fair. And so I know you just did, you just started with a fair master class, which is. Yeah, I just had a fair master class. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. How, how do you see that being similar? The buying on the corporate side for a big company like Urban and then also jumping on fair and buying because I'm sure you're buying products for Boku, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I think this is something I always say and I actually reference this in the fair masterclass or the trade show. I don't know, I have a couple of masterclasses. I think in the fair masterclass, I talk about this, but I think it's so important to remember that the buyer customer is just like your D2C and purchasing customer. Like they are all consumers. And so buyers approach buying for the store the same way, like the psyche around shopping, even if it's a subconscious thing for your end consumer, the buyer is probably just more heightened and aware of what they're looking for. So it's really the same core principles of your product kind of cutting through the noise and attracting an end consumer or attracting a buyer. It's really the same. The only difference is that the buyer is purchasing with the intention of a return on their investment and your end consumer is purchasing with the intention of either a gift or a self-purchase. They're not looking to necessarily make anything back on that. So it's really you're you're selling the same product to the same people just with a little bit more information that needs to be given to the buyers. Because if you think about it, at the end of the day, the buyer is buying that product for your ideal end consumer. It's all like one big circle. So it's no, you shouldn't be treating them completely differently. You just need to put a little more like TLC on the buyer side, on your wholesale side, so that they learn like more tactical things because they do care about all the nuances of the product where your end consumer is maybe a little bit more attracted to your brand and like the the emotion of it where the buyer wants that but they also want to know like exactly what they're buying and how much the cost is and how much money they're going to make off of it <laughs> oh that is yeah that's super interesting I yeah I just I think it's I think sometimes it can be this kind of like 
magical behind the curtain buyers buying products for shops mm-hmm. and other businesses and like what is really going on there. So I think to your point, thinking about them like customers and also giving them the information they want is mm-hmm. really, really important. So when you when you're buying products, whether it was for corporate retail or for Boku, what are things that you look for in a product that you're buying? So I think it's really important to know that it always is changing. And it's I'm not just saying that for me, but I'm saying that for every buyer, no matter what their shop is, there are different uh, points in time where they're looking for different things. And that could be, you know, they're looking to fill a hole in their assortment. They just need one specific thing to like round out an assortment. Or they're at the very beginning stages and they're just in that exploratory phase. They're looking for brands that align with them and, you know, or they could be looking for something that's a specific color or price point or an aesthetic that fits the concept that they're buying into. It completely depends on the time of year. So you could be the perfect brand for that shop, but you maybe just aren't at the right time. So there is that component of it. But I think it's like the core thread throughout all of it is it always goes back to like those brand values. And I also think aesthetic. I think those are two really important things, especially now. So in 2023, I think brand values are really important because consumers are more heightened. There's more heightened awareness around how they're spending their dollar, depending on the demographic and the type of product you sell. If you're selling pens, maybe not so much. If you're selling apparel, sustainability really matters. Like there's different nuances, eco-friendly, you know, consumers that are paying attention to, I mean, there's a political side. It's how, you know, there's all kinds of things that people are way more aware of now than they used to be. So I think big brands are very much paying attention to this because they do not want a PR mess on their hands. So if they're bringing in a brand, they want to make sure that brand aligns with their values. And even all the way down to small retailers, they're looking for that too because they want to build that connection with you. So there's the value side of it and feeling like they're, they feel good putting their dollar into that small business. And then you represent you as the brand being put in that retail shop or representing that retail shop. So there is that whole component. And then the aesthetic has to match the types of other products that are in the store. So that aesthetic doesn't necessarily always match. Like you could have a beautiful brand, but you're more feminine. And that shop that you're trying to get into is way more modern. And then it's never going to work. Even if like, you know, your product would you love to see it in there? It just might not be the right fit. So there's like an aesthetic component to it that I think is important to keep in mind. I think that's really important. One of the questions I always ask packaging clients when we start working together is, what's the dream store you want to see your product in? And I think it has a lot to do with what you're talking about, which is yep. that fit, you know? Your product might be, I'll use a really easy example, like it might be a great fit for a Target or a Walmart, but Mm -hmm. the aesthetic of both of those stores, the values of the customers that shop both of those stores are pretty different. Even though at the base level, those stores sell almost identical product at prices that are around 
the same ish. Mm -hmm. You know, you could go by at either of those, but you know, you're, you're not going to, something that you design that fits in at Target is not going to appeal to that Walmart customer and vice versa. So I think your point of making sure that like you're communicating those values and like you have an eye on the aesthetic that your ideal customer is attracted to is, is super. Yeah. Because you're, I mean, as a brand, your ideal customer is probably the same as that retailer's ideal customer. You're selling to the same, right, that same end consumer. It's just there's like a go-between with you on the, the wholesale side of the buyer. So the more you have your brand, like from an omni-channel perspective, everywhere they go, they feel that same brand vibe. I don't know what the right word is. Like your social media and your website and your fair page, like all of it needs to be cohesive and tell your brand story in whatever way makes sense for that platform. But a buyer is not just going to find you on fair and then go and like purchase without also looking at your website and your Instagram or one or both. Like it's just that would be kind of crazy unless you sell a commodity and the target buyer doesn't even know what fair is. So you have to think about like not only your ideal customer, but also your ideal dream shop and meet them where they're at. So you have to have different solutions for different channels of your wholesale business because your wholesale business is multifaceted. So you have to think of each kind of type of shop and where they're at and then kind of adjust your the way you're selling to them so that you're positioning yourself in a way that that would actually attract that buyer or that customer. Oh, yeah, that's definitely true. Because like all of these stores, there's different, there's different levels, right? Like you're like the shops that are buying on fair are more of those boutiques, small shops. And then, you know, when you're starting to talk about like those national chains, the big corporate chains, it's a very different avenue to get into those stores. So what type of businesses or like at what level do you think it's the right time for a business to start wholesaling on fair? I would say you can start pretty early in your process, but I would recommend that you have a couple of wholesale orders outside of fair under your belt first, just so you can work out the kinks. You can talk one-on-one with those buyers and like see what they're looking for. Cause Usually you're trying to figure out, okay, what's the ideal minimum? What do my terms look like? How am I shipping this product? You want to make sure you know what you're doing before you get on to FAIR. So I actually had somebody, so just last week is when I had this FAIR masterclass. And one of my clients, she's a one-on-one client. I was like, come to the masterclass because I know she's considering FAIR. And I'm like, just come to the masterclass, learn about it. So she did. And Within three days, she had her fair shop up and then she got her biggest wholesale order she's ever had. And she was like, I followed everything to a D. And she's like, it was, it completely helped me. But she's like, if I hadn't done some of the that work first, I feel like I would have been panicking because you just need to know what you're doing first. So I think you can do it very early on, but you need to, you need to have kind of the foundation figured out first so that you're set up and you're ready to go. So then when you go on fair, you can focus all of your energy on just optimizing your fair page and getting your your shop positioned so that you're putting your best foot forward on that platform because it's 
not a platform where you can just show up and expect people to come to you. You have to really do it the right way. And yeah, I don't know. I think it's like, it's that first step, I think, getting past that first order. It's that first step of like, okay, I'm going to really go after fair. And then you have to put the work into it. That that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, so like having looked at a few things unfair and I'm I, I'm not on the buying side. I look more like on the research side from like packaging. Yeah. It's like, it's definitely like a professional platform, like where you're wholesaling things and your customers can review you, right? So you want to make sure mm-hmm. you have, you know, that you're really delivering great customer service to your wholesalers. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that there's a whole untapped opportunity for a lot of brands on that like post-purchase experience for your buyers. Because you think about your consumers, you have that Shopify post-purchase setup, but you know, on Etsy, you have those emails that are going out, they're asking for reviews, you're checking in, like you have all that set up for your own website. It should be the same for your buyers and you want to create an experience for them. So particularly like a buyer that's going to fair, they're spending their own money. They could pay themselves or they could pay you to bring in more inventory. So they that, that dollar really matters to them because it's like it is so much more important to them. So like when they're spending their money to place an order with you, you want to build that connection with them and get them excited about your product that's coming. You want to encourage them to leave a review if they love it because that just like pulls that connection in and you really just want to think about how to have that post-purchase experience to be, get them to become obsessed with you because your repeat buyers are really how you grow because you establish a relationship. It's like they come back and they become obsessed with you and you can like start to rely a little bit on them coming back season after season to buy from you. So the way to do that is to make them feel like they're really valued. All right. So you heard that everyone like work on that post-purchase <laughs> sequence for FAIR if you're on FAIR and you don't have that. but. And this podcast, we love to talk about packaging. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you look you looked for in packaging when you were buying products, whether it was, you know, for Boku or or at a place like Urban. And like what, you know, what kind of tips do you have for product businesses about like how that packaging helps when it comes to, you know, creating that connection with the buyers? Yeah. So I think. For me, I'll just start with on the Boku side. So I am a gift box brand and the differentiator with with Boku is that we gift wrap every item in the box. So it's a little bit different than some of the other ones that are out there. So for me, I'm looking for packaging that can be wrapped. And so I have the lens of, okay, if it's oddly shaped, if it's, you know, if it comes with, like I'm extra excited about a candle company that has a gift box that comes with it because then I don't have to buy an additional box to lose, so I immediately am like losing margin because I'm buying more more packaging. So I am looking at it from the lens of like, how am I building out my gift boxes? Does it fit in the box, first of all? And then the second layer is, can it be wrapped? So that's, you know, there's a ton of gift box companies out there. So if you are like hellbent on getting your product into a gift box company, because there's, like I said, a ton of them and some are very big, some are small, but you can have you know, those buyers can buy a lot from you if they get a big order, they can buy from you, but don't push it if you're like, my product doesn't actually make sense for gift boxes or the packaging wouldn't necessarily work. 
on like the urban side, I would say it's more about like the aesthetic. So it all really goes back to that. So is there, is it designed well? Is it, there's, there's very much a difference of like self-designed packaging versus you can tell if a designer designed the packaging or, you know what I'm saying? It's like there's, when you go to a market, just like a, a normal market, a lot of times it's people that are just like starting out. It's a little bit more hand done, which is totally fine for that environment. But when you're ready to like scale it up, you want it to be printed packaging, really feel like there's a brand presence there. You want to and it stand out. You want it to feel legit. Like, yes. I think your clients say they want it to feel professional and it's not so much you want it to feel corporate, but like you want it to have those finishing touches that yeah. designer brings to the table when they're just making sure that like all the elements are in the right place to look like it's finished. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it tells your, it tells your brand story, maybe not through words, but visually, because I think like we've talked about this before, like one of the most important things is that your packaging is first selling your product and your packaging has to represent your brand and the product that's inside of it. So that's going to be the first thing that people are gravitated towards. It's a little like the packaging has to be just as good as the product inside. And I know we've talked about this, but like sometimes the packaging is better than the product inside, but people buy it. But the the way to get people obsessed with it is like your packaging meets the quality of your product. And that's how small brands really stand out. And so when you're ready to scale, when you're ready to get investors, when you are like growing your business to the next level, that packaging and your photography is extremely important. I love hearing you say that. And not just because I design packaging. <laughs> I want everybody to invest in their packaging, but because, because it's true. And I think that sometimes product businesses treat their packaging as an afterthought or as an expense hit to the business rather than an investment in an asset for the business. Mm -hmm. And I think we, because we all see packaging every day, right? Like whether you're going to the grocery store, you're going to the drugstore, you're shopping online, you're ordering things online, like you're seeing it and interacting with it every day. So I think it's easy to not think of it as being a very valuable asset to your product. Yeah. Business. But the fact is, is it's like, it's always the first impression that people have yeah. of your product. And so yeah. like, it's just like caring about your appearance and that impression that you're you're giving to other people so yeah yeah I appreciate you you outlining of course I'm obsessed with packaging so I I just think it's so it's so important and if you're feeling like it's a hit to your bottom line then maybe you need to raise your price like because your packaging can elevate your brand and put you into that different like category or status level of brands if your packaging is done really well it also can be viewed as like a marketing expense. Like if you have a really cool shipping box with some call to action when they open it up that gets people to share on social, that person is, buy or is buying that product. It gets delivered to their house. They're automatically going to take their phone out and take a picture of the packaging maybe before they take a picture of the product. So you have to think about like the different ways that you're going to get a return from your packaging that might not be very direct and clear. Like it might not seem like the most obvious way you're going to get a return. It's not like they bought the product and that product is automatically giving you X amount of dollars in your pocket, but the packaging has the ability to get them to come back and buy again. So 
Yeah, I, I totally agree with everything you just said. It's not a straightforward return on your investment, but there are so many different ways to track that return on investment. Um, yeah. Okay, I love all of that. And I know we're going to have to have you back to talk about how profitability works with that and how to work that into your budget. Because I think that that is such an important conversation around how profitable are, are your products and how are you spending money to market your business. But you're still, so you still need to make money. Yep. So I'm going to ask you a question that I ask everybody that comes on the podcast. And that is, what is the last thing that you bought because of the packaging? I've been thinking about this because I feel like I feel like I don't buy a lot of things. I've been like trying to be less what's the word? I've just been trying to like pull back on how much sure, more I bought. I, I almost feel like that's a retail thing. Like we see so many products that we have yeah. to be very like selective about what we buy. Yeah. That's yeah. Perfect. So I know. I think I think that it was actually a book. <laughs> this isn't really answering because it's not necessarily packaging, but it kind of is. Mm-hmm. So I read a lot of my Kindle and I recently bought Emily Henry, I think is the uh, Beach People, because I was like, that book cover was just kind of, I was in Barnes and Noble for something and I rarely go into a shop, but I was like, oh, I need to buy this. I need to buy this book. And so I bought it because of literally the, like they say, don't judge a book by its cover, but I kind of do. Um, and so that was one of them. I also recently bought a skincare Oh my gosh, what is it called? Royal Nectar. It's this like balm skincare that I did not really need. And it was like this $68 balm, but the box was really beautiful. So it's it's made from tulips that get like trampled down. So they're like waste tulips and they've repurposed them. It's from a tulip farm. Okay. And there's this really cool story behind it that I can't articulate very well right now, but all of the wasted tulips that they can't sell, they take the petals and they create this balm for your face out of it. So the packaging like told the story was really beautiful. And then when you take it out, it's in this like petal shaped jar and it has this little rose gold scoop that looks like a tulip, like at the top. It was just like the whole thing. Yeah, It was just very beautiful. And I'm like, I have to buy this. I don't know if it does anything for my skin, but there there are two. There's a high and a low in there. There's a, the book that I bought and then a couple of weeks ago, the balm that I was in a shop and I was like, I, I feel like I need to buy this. So oh that my, was that. So, yeah. yeah, I feel like I have so much to unpack both of these. I, I also read a lot, but I haven't read any of Emily Henry's books, but they're on my list. But her, like her, the covers of her books are so striking. They've got a beautiful- They are striking. Yes. They've got beautiful illustration on them. Very graphic, but it's also kind of like soft. So you get you like it immediately tells you that it's more of a feminine read uh, and like a summary there's a lot I think what I love about it too there's like a lot of white space so it allows your eye to pay attention to the title the bold letters and then the graphic like you can your eye has room to breathe a little bit which I when things are really busy I find that to be hard to connect with like I look I pass over it so when you're in a store like so your packaging, if the front of packaging is busy and then you put it in a store with all these other things, which being in a store can be busy depending upon how it's merchandised. Yeah. Like 
that doesn't mm-hmm. you, if it's simple and clean and like has some beautiful bold color or something else that's like a bold neat graphic it immediately will stand out amongst the busyness yes mm-hmm. yeah but that your your tool up royal nectar sounds like a dream packaging project and <laughs> i'm gonna look, look this up because it just sounds like one of those experiences that like the packaging is creating that experience for yeah product yeah you felt like you couldn't leave it in the store or you felt like you you had to bring it home yeah i know i was like i was reading it and the sales associate saw me like i actually was reading the box which is odd i'm not usually like let me as a consumer read the packaging because most people don't right and so i normally don't do that so it's odd that i was doing this anyway but they had it set out they had it displayed nicely so that all goes back to merchandising in your shop which is a whole other conversation but I was like, oh, this is cute. Let me look at it. So I'm reading it and it's talking about it. And then the sales associate was like, told me the story. And I, so it's it's like a royal family and it's the wife of the prince or whatever. I don't even know. I need to learn the story better. So I could, I didn't, I was not prepared to talk about this clearly because I forgot about it until you asked me. But anyways, it's a great story. It got me to buy it. You should look it up and okay. you'll see what I'm saying. But like those details, like the little scoop. They could have easily just bought some random scoop to put in there, but they had an actual mold of a tulip for their scoop. So it just like completes the experience. I love it. That is, I'm going to have to find a photo of it and share it online. I'm going to send it to you after the Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. So Kristen, how can everybody connect with you and work with you if they are interested in any sort of like product business coaching? I know that you, you do some of that. So why don't you share? share how we can work with you. Yeah. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at Kristen Fisher Coaching. You can also check me out on Boku. So it's shop Boku, B-O-C-U. So both places, I'm there. I'd love, I'll give you the link for my fair masterclass if anybody's interested in that. I really walk through how to get your page optimized, how to stand out to buyers, all kinds of of tips. I talk about the post-purchase experience in there. And then there's also some live fair page audits included in that. So you can really kind of see some actual pages being, you know, audited by me on the call. So I'll give you that too, but I do one-on-one private coaching occasionally. So depending on when this comes out, my books may or my calendar may or may not be open, but you can reach out to me, find me on Instagram and I'd love to connect. I also have my own podcast. So the product to profit podcast, you can check me out there too. That's right. Okay. So go check out Kristen's podcast, go follow her on Instagram. And Kristen, thank you so much. I feel like we could chat all day. So I'm sure we will be doing this again soon. (laughs) Thank you so much. This was so fun. Thank you for listening to Product Packaging and Profit, a podcast for product entrepreneurs looking to level up with packaging. We hope you'll join us next time to hear more about how packaging can help propel profitable product businesses. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us wherever you're listening and be sure to come back for our next episode. Until then, this is Kelly Kempel of Hidden Path Creative. And don't forget, what's on the outside matters too.